that uh, received the startling revelation that following Matthew chapter 5 is Matthew chapter 6. And so uh, the Sermon on the Mount encompasses three chapters uh, in Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we're going to uh, stay true. We spent a lot of time in Matthew 5 just uh, going through the Beatitudes, and Matthew 6 is uh, more red letters, Jesus speaking, uh, powerful things in here. Uh, we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount as it continues. There's a variety of topics uh, in chapter 6 here. Jesus is going to cover giving, and how many know that's important, the way we give and uh, how we give and with the right heart. He talks about prayer, vitally important, fasting, also wealth and anxiety. Uh, in, a, in a society where so many of our people are on anti-anxiety medicine, it's amazing that the Bible has a recipe for us to have soundness of mind. Amen. All of this is so relevant to us. Also in chapter 6, we're gonna, uh, Jesus is going to give to us what we know is the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we're going we're gonna to dissect the Lord's Prayer and realize that the Lord's Prayer is more of a pattern of prayer than it is a prayer just to be repeated over and over again. Although we're going to learn about that. Uh, powerful things, chapter 6 is brimming with uh, all kinds of treasures for us as believers. Let's bow our head today. I'm going to bless the Word. Today we are going to cover by God's grace just one verse Verse 1 of chapter 6, it kind of sets up uh, as a precursor for the rest of the chapter to flow. The principles that we're going to draw out here are going to set the table for us. So let's thank God for the word. Father, we thank you this morning uh, for your word. What a treasure you've given us in the word of God. I pray today, Lord, that all of us would have uh, the eyes of our understanding open, that our hearts would be good ground to receive what you have for us this morning. Father, I pray that each of us would get something from you today because we're your children and you have something special for each of us. Don't let any of us leave here the way we came. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the red letters in this chapter, if you have a Bible that denotes the words of Jesus in red letters, you're going to see it's, it's red. And Jesus is speaking here and everything he says is pertinent, it's powerful, and it's applicable to our daily lives um, the instruction and wisdom in here is something that we not to just hear and consider, but we can apply these things to our lives. So verse 1, I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going we're gonna to jump in and find out what's in here. He says this, Jesus starts off with, beware. Well, that's an interesting way to start off chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. I want you to do something. You heard it. You saw that it was on the page as I read it to you, so I'm not trying to trick you. Close your eyes and listen with your spirit this morning. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Powerful words from Jesus setting the table for the rest of this chapter uh, to cover topics of giving prayer, fasting, wealth, anxiety, giving us the Lord's Prayer. This sets the table. Again, the words of Jesus spoken plainly would go over the heads of many people in that crowd. There were multitudes. They were there for the show. They weren't there to grow spiritually. They wanted to hear uh, some new thoughts, maybe be entertained a little bit, see if Jesus would perform some miracles. Maybe he'll feed some people. You know, but he says these profound things. Now, to us as believers, these things don't go over our heads. But as disciples, we are to understand them. Remember, many times Jesus pulled his disciples off to the side and explained the parables to them. He says, you know what, you're not a casual seeker. You follow me. So I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you what's underneath the hood. Wow. 
That's what we have here today. The Holy Spirit is showing us the depth that's here. Now, what Jesus is basically saying here in a nutshell is this. If you and I do good works, what? It says practicing your righteousness. We're going to get to this and understand all the components here. But if we do good things to be noticed by men, then that's our reward, and we can expect no reward from God. If everything I do here is, to, is for people to say, oh, what a nice guy, what a great guy, what a loving guy. If that's my motivation to speak to you, to pastor, to preach, then that's the wrong motivation. And there's a reward in that, but it's not a reward from God. So understand something. As he's speaking to us, we're not casual listeners. We are disciples. And he wants us to understand that if we're doing things to please men rather than God, it's the wrong heart. And if we start off from that place, everything we do in life will be unsatisfying and out of skew. So you might say, come on, Jesus, all of us want to be liked a little bit. You know, nobody gets up in the morning and goes, I'm going to work real hard today to make everyone hate me. I just want to be disliked. You know, there's a few people who still like me. I haven't worn out yet, but today's the day. All of us want to be liked a little, and Jesus understands that. In fact, it's part of, you know, us being children of God, part of the family of God, part of the human race. The Bible says to live peaceably with all men as much as it concerns you. So there's that element where, yeah, we should have a good report. We should have a good name. We should be likable, lovable people. But if we put that before being pleasing to God, we're out of balance. And that's his point here. We have got to decide in our hearts that if we're going to please anybody, it's got to be God first. If our motivation is to please anybody but him first, we are going to be out of balance. If my motivation is to please other people, what an exhausting way to live. If my motivation is to please myself, what a shallow way to live. If my motivation every day when my, fit, my feet hit the ground and I live is I want to please you, Father, and do your will, and only what you think of me matters, look out world. Verse 1 says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. This question provokes, uh, this text provokes this question. How do we live a life that's God-centered and brings an eternal reward with it? It's, it says uh, we can expect no reward from the Father if we live this way. So we want to live a life that's pleasing to God. It's God-centered. Am I right in assuming that? Can I get an Amen. We want to live a God-centered life that brings a reward at the end. No, none of us want to die and stand before Jesus, and he goes, what are you doing here? Looking for your name in the book. Is it in the scroll? I don't know. No, all of us want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy today. Here's your reward, amen. Or when, we, when he takes our works and tries them by the fire, we want it to produce a crown so that we can throw it at the feet of Jesus and say thank you for what you did for me on the cross, amen. So there again, this for us is not about being lost or found. It's not about salvation. That's a free gift from God. This is about the, the production of our life and the fruit of our lives. And to look at it and say, do I live to please God or is there another motivation there? So we want to live a God-centered life. We want to have a reward at the end of it. There are four keys in this one verse for us to get to that place. Number one, if we're going to have a God-centered life that brings a reward, we have to learn to beware quiet now. You know, we don't usually walk up to people and say things like, beware. 
you're out in public, you're on wall, line at Walmart, and someone walks up to you, beware. Security at register seven. You know, that, that's kind of weird. But Jesus starts off the whole chapter like that. Beware. He's giving a warning here. And listen, when Jesus says, beware, we should pay attention. When he gives us a warning, when the word says, look out, watch out, pay attention, heads up. You're on the baseball field. The pop ball is into the sun. Heads up. Where is it? What does it mean to beware? What Jesus meant when he said beware is this. Approach life with a good measure of caution and care and avoid being destroyed by your own recklessness. Now, I know the script, there's a scripture that says be careful for nothing but through all things through prayer and supplication. That's exactly what I'm saying here. We're not cautious like, oh, you know, I got to watch out for it. No, we, are, we approach life in a way that's not reckless. Because it's recklessness in life that puts us in situations and in places where we never should have been. It creates drama and trouble for us that busies us with the cares of the world instead of the blessings and the goodness of God. So we've got to approach life in a sense where be careful what you're doing. Be cautious what you're doing. Don't be reckless. Some of us have made reckless decisions before and we understand exactly what this is about reckless in our relationships with the people we choose to have relationships reckless in our finances and all of a sudden we're buried in debt reckless with our spiritual choices reckless with our health you get to a certain age where you wish I wouldn't have ate that I wouldn't have put that in my body amen you walk by the mirror real fast like this and you just like denial is not just a river in Egypt you know, we're reckless. And sometimes that recklessness is costly. And that's why Jesus says, beware. Think about the recklessness in relationships. All of us could say, I got involved in relationships, whether business or, you know, financial or, or you know, romantic relationships that took a toll on us. Some of us are scarred and wounded and have baggage because of the people we got into relationship with. And you say, what was that? Well, you know, it's just part of the, you know, learning in life. And I love these people, you know, that say things. Well, I have no regrets in life. Uh, you know, that was part of the process that got me to be the idiot I am today. <laughs> yeah, we should regret some of the things we do in life. You know, the, the, the absolute hubris of a statement like that, that even in our foolish, reckless, destructive decisions, well, you know, that's, you know, part of the process of making me. And that's why Jesus had to die on the cross, because of me. Because of all those sinful, poor, selfish, self-centered decisions. So beware. Jesus says if you want to live a life that, you know, brings a reward at the end of it, you've got to be careful with the way you live and careful with, with who you, uh, you know, invest yourself in. And all of these things require some care. Beware. I'm sure all of us have figured out at this point, if we've lived for more than just a few years, that life can be tricky and sticky. Say amen. amen. I mean, there are times where, you know, it, it looks like the right thing to do. And it was a trick. Have you ever been deceived by, by someone before? Some, somebody who said, well, I'm, I'm this, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to help you. And they were there just to abuse you. Come on, all of us. Life is tricky. I can't think of the times where I thought, oh, you know, this is it. And it wasn't it. Life can be sticky. We get ourselves entangled in things to where it's hard to get out. 
There are so many people sitting on the sidelines of life that are buried in debt, that are buried in bad choices, that were called to ministry, but now because of the entanglements of the world, they can't even extract themselves out to do the things of God anymore on the sidelines of life. Come on. Life can be tricky and it can be sticky. And so we need to approach life with a good measure of restraint, not to be reckless. There are so many things that can tangle us up, that can derail us, that can deceive us. It's so easy to go off the narrow road. It's the narrow road we've got to stay on. Wide is the path that leads to destruction, amen? It's loose and it's free and it's broad and you can do whatever you want and everybody fits in and it's okay. Well, listen to me. Our, our generations believe the lie that all roads lead to God, and they don't lead to God. All roads lead down the drain. There's only one road that leads to God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You say, well, that sounds pretty exclusive. It absolutely is. He's the only one who came, who died, and who rose again. He's the only one who broke the power of sin. He's the only one that can save us from ourselves. It's pretty narrow. So life requires a little bit of caution. It requires us to restrain ourselves so that we're not reckless. The first key, you want to be productive, you want to receive a reward, you want to be able to live a life that pleases God, don't be reckless with your life. Number two, the second key is this, we need to practice our righteousness. Look what the text says here. It's kind of interesting. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men. Let's just stop there. Just this idea of practicing our righteousness is something I want to visit here. Uh, I, want, I want you to understand something. You and I are learning to be more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job is not to just keep us from killing ourselves and making dumb choices. Amen? Come on, some of your guardian angels are stressed out. You, some of you got to sign three of them because you're, you need help. But I'm, I'm saying the Holy Spirit's job is not just to, oh, you know, keep them from killing them. No, it's to conform us into the image of Christ. Amen. What God is doing is because he loved me, he saved me the way I am, but he loves me too much to leave me this way. So he sends the Holy Spirit to shape me and mold me and sculpt me and grind off all the rough edges. If you could see in the spirit, if you've ever seen a piece of metal getting grinded, sparks flying all over the place, under construction, I got scaffolding all over me. We're like, you're thinking, we, we hope the Lord does a good job and hurries up with you, Pastor Rick. But we are being conformed into the image of Christ. And so as we... Uh, stop resisting that and start facilitating it in our lives, we realize that we every day have to practice righteousness. We're learning to do good works. We're learning to do good things. We're learning to restrain our flesh and to crucify it daily. Paul said, I die daily. What's that all about? That's about taking that flesh every day, nailing it to the cross and saying, not my will, but yours be done. I want to be like you today, Jesus. So understand something about practicing your righteousness. Anything that has to be practiced has not yet been mastered. If you're still practicing, that's why when you go to a doctor, and they, how long have you been practicing medicine? Are you getting better at it? Think about that. But anything that's being practiced has not yet been mastered. So none of us have mastered righteousness. None of us have arrived. Hello? 
And that's a good thing for us to remember. You know, there are some things in life that we put the time and the energy and the practice in for, for long enough that we have mastered it, and now we just need to maintenance it. Maybe you've experienced some things like that. You've mastered something in your field. You're master craftsman, musician, whatever, whatever you do. You, you've got it. Now you just have to maintain it so that you don't move backwards. Because most of the things in life, we, most of our skills are perishable if we don't maintain them. That's a whole sermon all in itself. But we are practicing righteousness. Now, here's the thing. You and I as believers are moving from a place where we were estranged from Christ. We were lost in our sin. Jesus snatched us out of the muck and mire. He saved us. He filled us with the Holy Spirit. He, he, he has made us his own. Now we go from doing dead works to doing good works. And there is a learning curve that goes from doing dead works to us doing good works. Listen to Hebrews 6.1. Therefore, leaving the principle of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So the initial step into the kingdom of God is what? We come out of sin, in, out of the light, into the darkness. We repent of the dead works we did. Come on, the way we used to live the riotous living, the drunkenness, the reveling, the, the, the carousing, all of those things. Don't look so holy uh, I mean, right now. Like, you don't know what I'm talking about. You're going to have to look it up when you get home, okay? Dead works. We're going to talk about that. We go from doing dead works. Now we're in the kingdom of God. We're learning to do good works. But there's a learning curve. It's just not snapping a switch. And all of a sudden, you know, we went from all this darkness to all this light instantly. And we're, we got it going on now. And everything. No, it's a process. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So it's a process here. And you might say, well, how can we gauge where we are in the process? How, I mean, am I still doing dead works? Am I still doing things now? What is it? dead work. It's a worthless, sinful, self-centered, spiritually unproductive thing. You say, Pastor, can you give us a list? No, because it can be anything. And if I forget the thing that, I mean, a dead work could be anything. It, and, and it is just something that we do that's spiritually unproductive for us. There's certain things that you could do every day that maybe I can't do every day. Why? Because we're called to do different things. So for me, it would be spiritually unproductive. For you, it might be your vocation. So what's a dead work? Whatever keeps us from doing the fruitfully productive things that God has called us to do. We need to stop doing those and begin to do the good works to, to practice righteousness and, and to make that shift. So where are we in the process? There's three questions we can ask ourselves. Number one, am I learning to be more like Jesus every day? That's the goal of every day, not to fatten your 401k, not to get a, a year closer to retirement, not to, you know, uh, you know, advance yourself and climb the corporate ladder. These are all things that just happen, but our, our, our goal has to be being more like Jesus every day. In fact, if I'm saying this and that's a shock to you, then good morning, welcome to the party, welcome to Christianity, let's get to it. You and I, you and I, God didn't save me to make a better version of Rick. He wants to make me into the image of Christ. Because even the best version of Rick doesn't cut it. It doesn't even come close. And so am I becoming more like Jesus every day? Number two, the second question to ask ourselves is this. Am I learning to do the things that are pleasing to the Father? 
See, the shift needs to take place where I do things to please me to where I do things to please the Father. Jesus came to earth being fully God, thought it not a robbery to consider himself equal with God. He came to earth and he only did what he saw the Father doing. This is to all you Lone Ranger, autonomous, nobody tells me what to do, Christians. If you're doing your own thing, it's not God's thing. We're called to do what we see the Father doing. Now, I know that's high level. I know that's, that's high level Christianity uh, in our understanding. But we've got to understand, I, I, I'm not called to do my own thing, my own agenda. And neither are you. Jesus said some crazy things like this. In Luke 2, 48, and when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you dealt with us this way? You remember Mary and Joseph took Jesus in uh, to town and he disappeared for three days and they were looking for him for three days. Now, if you're a parent and your kid is missing for three days, you're a parent of the year. I'm telling you what. So Mary is in a frenzy here. She says, behold, your father and I have sought you sorrowing. She's like, you know, why have you done this to us? You went missing. Listen to Jesus' response in verse 49 of Luke 2. And he said unto them, how is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Wow. Even as a child, Jesus understood he wasn't there to do his own thing. He was there to do the father's thing. And we need to understand the same thing as believers in the Lord. We're not here to do our own thing for this short time that we're on the earth. Now, you might think this, oh, man, this is, I can't do it. I can't have any fun. God's going to make, no, the more we get plugged into what God has made us and called us to do, the more we're going to enjoy life, the more productive life is going to be, the more joy we're going to have in the Lord, amen? Misery comes when we say, God, you know what, nice plan, God, but I'm not doing your thing. Look, if I was doing any other thing besides what I'm doing right here, if I, if I said no to ministry, no to preaching, no to the call of God in my life, and I did any other thing that, that you know, I think I might like to do, you know, I would not have the peace and the productivity that I have doing this. So Jesus did what he saw the Father doing. Jesus was about doing the Father's business. Listen to what he says in John 4.31. His disciples were after him to eat. He had been ministering a long time, and, and he had, hadn't eaten anything. They said, Master, eat. He said to them, but I have meat to eat that you know not of. And then the disciples said to one another, has he brought something and had it to eat? And Jesus said to them, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That should be my meat, my strength, the thing that sustains me, the thing that gives me energy. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, to accomplish the mission that I've been called to do. You're not here on accident. You're here on purpose. You are not just an afterthought of God. He made you, wired you, gifted you, placed you in an exact place to do certain things. And what you are made and called to do, only you can do. Don't miss your destiny chasing empty things. So we practice our righteousness. We learn to be more like Jesus. We learn to do the things that are pleasing to the Father. And the, the, the third thing I want to point out here is how do we know where we are in this learning curve from going from dead works to good works is this. Am I a consistent producer in the kingdom of God? 
in every area in life, there are producers and consumers. There are those who just sit and take, and there are those who are work and give and produce fruit. You and I, as we become mature in Christ, need to be consistent producers in the kingdom of God. What does that mean? We need to discipline ourselves to stay away from sin. We need to embrace personal holiness, and we need to bear fruit in the, in the manner of touching other people for Jesus. The Bible says he who wins souls is wise. Who have you affected for Christ this week? Are you a producer in the kingdom of God? You might think, well, that sounds hard. It's not as hard as you think. Sometimes it's just expressing love to someone. Sometimes it's just a listening. Sometimes it's inviting someone to church. We've got some empty seats. We've got some, we got some places up here. And, you know, some of us are willing to stand if it gets full. So invite somebody to church. Invite a neighbor. Invite a coworker. The oxygen sucked out of the room. <laughs> or we're not multitudes. Did we just come for the show? Did we just come for religious duty? Or do we want to be producers in the kingdom of God? These three things am I becoming more like Jesus? Am I doing things that are pleasing to the Father? Am I learning to be a producer? Those show us where we are in the learning curve from doing dead works to doing good works. And it's how we practice our righteousness. None of us have mastered it yet, but let's keep practicing. Anything you want to be good at, you have to practice. They say if you do anything for an hour a day within just a matter of months and some things in a matter of years, you can actually master a certain skill. Wow. Or we can look at our phones nonstop and play Angry Birds and not be very productive in the kingdom of God. Number three, the third key I want to give you of how to live a God-pleasing life that brings a reward with it at the end is this, is to identify the audience you've chosen. Look what he says. There again, it's just one verse. Beware of practicing your righteousness. So we've got to beware. We've got to practice our righteousness. Listen, before men to be noticed by them. So whether we know it or not, whether we've done it consciously or subconsciously, we somewhere down the road have decided what audience we're interested in gaining. And we've decided at some point either that we were going to be one of two things. We were going to be either servants in the kingdom of God or performers for the praise of men. We can be one of those two things. Now, I mean, you can do a little bit of both. You can be lukewarm if, that, you know, if you're trying to straddle the fence, but that's going to catch up with you. We are either servants in the kingdom of God or performers for the praise of men. Now, what's the difference between a performer and a servant? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Number one, performers have to be noticed. If you're a performer, you have to be noticed. In fact, if you're in a performance and no one knows you're there, they can't see you, or you know, you were in the, the production at school and you were the tree, and they covered your face with wood, and they're like, who's the tree? I don't know whose kid is the tree. Is that, is that our kid? Who's... You don't want to be the tree, right? We... <laughs> In, in the gym where I trained, we had some of our, some of our jiu-jitsu guys were uh, high-level competition guys got picked up to be in the new John Wick movie. And one of our blue belts was in the John Wick movie, and he was in a scene, and it happened real fast. You know, Keanu Reeves grabbed him, threw him on the floor, and the scene was over. Now, where, where were you? <laughs> now, we're excited that our gym gets scouted, and they want, they want us to do stuff like that. But, you know, you want to be seen if you're a performer. Was that you? Yeah, that was me on the floor. He's going to step on me. You were good. You were good. His mother's like, that's my baby. 
all right, not really what you want. So, you know, here we are. We, if we're a performer, we have to be noticed. Servants don't have to be noticed. Servants don't care if you have to be noticed. You know, be, being noticed feels great, but needing to be noticed is exhausting. Oh. Performers need all the recognition. Servants don't need any. Servants realize God sees. But a performer says, I, I want everybody to recognize what I've done and my accomplishments and my achievements. And, you know, the performer needs recognition. And it's amazing. There are some things that you do that you want people to notice. Say amen. amen. I was sharing with first service. My wife wasn't even here. But, but there's times I would sweep the whole house, sweep the house. Sweep, they're laughing. They don't think I know how to work a broom. Sweep the whole house, right? And then when I'm done sweeping, uh, you know, I look again and I see a piece of dust. So I sweep the whole thing again. And when I'm done, I left the broom and the dustpan out. <laughs> and I, and I, I had an introspective moment. I said, why did I do that? And the reason I did that is because I wanted her to know I swept the whole house twice. When she asked, what's the broom doing now? I swept the whole house twice. Two times, not one, two. So <laughs> that's a performer's mentality. You know, I'm hoping she'd be happy. She'd let me sleep inside tonight. To, <laughs> I'm trying to work it here. But if we're doing things to be noticed by people, you know, I remember it's a real Italian thing. I said to Pastor Mike, somebody told me when I was young, renting an apartment, he goes, uh, you know, the guy who owns your apartment, you get on the ladder and you clean his gutters out and make sure he sees you. Right? So, you know, you're just... You're buying yourself a little favor. That's a performer's mentality. The servant doesn't do that. The servant doesn't care who's watching. Now, I know this is hard. I know all of us say, well, I want to be noticed just a little bit. How about just a little? And the thing is, it's the shift. Are we going to have the performer's mentality or the servant's mentality? The servant doesn't need to be noticed. He doesn't need the recognition. And number three, performers crave approval of many sources. Servants only crave approval from one. You know, the performer says, well, what does my family think? And what does my father think? And what does my mother think? And my close friends and my peers. Today, people care what total strangers think. People will argue on social media with total strangers that they're never going to meet. You're arguing presidential politics in the USA with someone from Indonesia. They don't even live here. Listen, Quing Mang, I'm going to tell you about here. That, that, that. Are you kidding me? They don't even get to vote. Oh, I'm going to argue. That's foolishness. People care what people think that they don't even know. You could be arguing with a robot. Some people don't even understand what I'm talking about. Seriously, they got programs that post things to start trouble, and you're arguing with a robot. Listen here, robot, I'll tell you this. <laughs> Performers don't crave approval from all these different sources. They just crave approval from God. There was a man who got a job as a ticket collector in a very busy railway station in Chicago. He started his new job in the coldest part of a, a particularly blustery winter. He was conscientious about doing his job by the book, and he insisted that all the season ticket holders line up and show their passes before he let them through the gate and onto the train. The ticket collector before him had gotten to know all the regulars, so they just waltzed through. Now they had to line up and stand in the cold and show their passes. After 
many uh, days of this, one of the travelers said to him, Hey, pal, you know what? You're not very popular with the traveling public. And the man's response was this, Sir, he pointed to the headmaster's office of the station, I don't mind being unpopular with the public. That man up there in that office, his approval is the only one I seek. And so should it be with us as Christians. That we should not, oh, I need this one approval. I need this, you know, and, and, and everybody needs to be happy with me. And Did I do anything wrong today? And how was I? Did my clothes match? Do I have the right socks on? How exhausting. But just to say, you know what? I only care what the guy up there in that office thinks. Because in the final analysis, it's God who's going to judge me. And it's God who's going to reward me. <laughs> so decide what audience the, the, identify the audience you've chosen. If you've chosen to be a performer, you can make the shift to being a servant. Understand that, you know, it's all about God's approval. And God understands that, you know, once in a while we need a pat on the back. We need an attaboy. Let's be honest. Doesn't it feel great when someone just says, hey, you're doing a good job? You know, and hey, I appreciate you. Man, that's part of being in the body of Christ. We should tell people, hey, I love you. I appreciate you. You know, I, all the time we, you know, talk to musicians on the worship team, man, I enjoyed your playing today. I'll send somebody a text, man, you're, 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 you sounded great today. Thank you for serving. You know, we need that. But we, we, we got to be careful that we don't need that more than we need God's affirmation. So identify the audience you've chosen. Number four, the final key is this. Decide who you want to reward you. You got to make a decision. You say, why? Can, can I get rewarded from everybody? Not according to this text. But it says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward. What kind of reward? No reward, no reward with your Father who's in heaven. So it seems that we could either have man's reward or we could have God's reward, depending on where our heart is and, and if we're servers or performers. But we can't have both. Now think about that for a second. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father in heaven. God's reward or man's reward. Jesus is clear in the text. You can't be both. Now, you might think only a fool would choose the shallow, you know, temporary praise of men over the eternal rewards of God. I mean, can we just admit that? That, that, that sounds foolish. Uh, eternal blessings with God in heaven or temporary pleasure down here. Uh, only a fool would choose the temporary over the eternal. But why do we do that? It's because many times we're childish in our thinking. See, if, when you were a kid, you remember, it seemed like everybody had a relative or an uncle who would like to take the kids in the other room and do little tricks or tell them stories and stuff. You remember that one uncle would you know, put out his hand and have a nickel or a dime, and he'd say, well, pick one. Well, I'll take the nickel because it's bigger. Right? Yeah, everybody had that one uncle that had to just mess with you so he'd feel better about his bad choices in life, right? So, or, or you know, do you want three quarters or one dollar? Well, three. Three is more. I'll take the three quarters, right? That's, that's childish thinking. And so is it childish thinking to say, well, I'll take the temporary pleasure and the comfort and the pat on the back rather than the blessing and the eternal affirmation of God. You see, the enemy exploits us when we are childish in our thinking. And there are three reasons why people foolishly choose man rewards over heavens. The first one is this. Heaven's reward requires us to wait. Well, I want my reward now. I have a structured settlement, but I need cash now. 
Come on, you all see the commercial. Don't make me sing it. You know, I want, it's, it's your money. Take it when you want it. Yeah, oh, thanks, devil. Thanks. Uh, you know, I want to be rewarded now. I want to be blessed now. I want to have fun now. I want to have pleasure now. At the expense of missing out on eternal rewards? Beware of doing your righteousness in front of men to be noticed by them. Why? Because it's going to cost you. God says you can do that. You can do things so you can be seen by men so they can say, oh, aren't you awesome? You're the best. What a guy. Let me tell you about this guy. This guy's awesome. What a guy. Oh, stop, stop. Right? Come on. Don't act like you don't have flesh. Oh, please, please, please. You can do that, but God says don't respect a reward for me because that's your reward. Now, remember I said everything in this one verse here is going to set the precursor for the whole entire chapter, how we understand prayer, how we understand giving, how we understand all of these things are going to be set by if we get this or not. So we got to get this. Choose who you want to reward you. The rewards of heaven require us to wait, but they are worth the wait. The allure of instant gratification can be seductive, but don't fall for it. <laughs> instant gratification is just immaturity. It's just us, I want it now, I want it now, I want it now. It's childish. A disciple disciplines himself. A disciple has patience and can wait. Number two, the second reason why people foolishly choose man's rewards over heaven's rewards is this. The rewards of heaven won't stroke our egos or puff up our flesh. You see, if we're in the flesh, we want our flesh stroked. We want to hear, oh, you're great, boy, good job. If we're in the flesh, that's all that matters to us. A lot of us, you know, we want our egos pumped up. We want to feel good about ourselves. Now, some of this is legitimate. In psychology, they talk about something called ego food, where all of us need a certain amount of affirmation to be well-adjusted. You know, like I said, Thank God for people who say, hey, you're doing a good job, or hey, I appreciate you, or hey, you know, you're important to me. I love you. Wow. It helps. But there again, if that's what we need above everything else, that's exhausting. I think it was Mark Twain who said, I can go a year on one good compliment. But what happens when the year's over? You need another one. Yeah, and most of them don't last a year. As we get jaded and as we get, you know, as life becomes routine, ah, you know. So understand the rewards of heaven won't puff up, puff up our flesh. They won't stroke our egos, but they will build us spiritually. Number three, the rewards of heaven require servanthood and humility. And in a generation that says, I, I, I want to be served, but I refuse to serve. In a generation that says, you know what, if you're humble, you're a sucker, you're a fool. Understand, this clashes with our culture in every way. And we have to divorce ourselves from that to the point where we choose to believe God's word over our culture. That it doesn't matter who notices me. It doesn't matter who affirms me. It doesn't matter if I get the credit and the praise and, the, you know, all of these things that the flesh desires. But if I have God's approval, if I'll wait for his reward, then we sow into our eternity good things that are worth waiting for. Beware not to live a reckless life. Make every decision, whether big or small, with the peace of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the peace of the Holy Spirit, don't make a decision. 
Be appreciative of those who give you a pat on the back and encourage you, but never need that more than you need God's approval. Don't be a performer. Choose rather to be a servant and wait for the reward of heaven. It's worth the wait. Let's bow our heads today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Rick, I'm hearing what you're saying. I, I'm, I'm understanding what Jesus is saying here in this text. And you know what, I've lived my whole life to get the praise of men or just to feel accepted or just to fit in. And it hasn't worked out good for me. You say, well, what's the remedy for that? The remedy of that is becoming a child of God. Because once you're accepted in the beloved, once Jesus has affirmed you and God has accepted you, you don't need anyone else's affirmation. You say, what does that mean? Jesus died for us so that we could be free from our sin. All of us were born with sin through Adam. We inherited a sin nature. Jesus died on the cross, the only sinless man. He died in our place to break the power of sin over our lives. The Bible says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All we have to do is confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead to say, I'm a sinner. Would you be my savior? And you know what? He'll come in and he will change your life. You say, what will happen if I make that decision? He will forgive every one of your sin. He'll mark you as a child of God. He'll write your name down in the Lamb's book of life, and your eternity will be settled. You say, that sounds awesome. What does it cost? It doesn't cost us anything. He paid the price for it in his own blood. You say, why would he do that for me? Because he loves you. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Don't miss your opportunity today. Don't carry the weight of your sin around. Confess it and receive Jesus. Believe that God raised him from the dead, and he'll give you a clean slate and a fresh start, a new beginning. If that's you today, I want you to raise your hand. The ushers want to put a packet in your hand today. How many people would say, I want to confess and receive Jesus, and I want a clean slate and a fresh start today? God bless you, sir. God bless you. Ushers, just keep your hand up. Somebody's going to, who else today? you little guy how many else how many this is the most important part of our service today god bless you come on ushers move don't miss anybody okay let's let's pray a prayer together say lord jesus i recognize who you are you're the savior of the world and i'm a sinner and i need you Save me from my sin. Forgive me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the power to live a different life. From this moment forward, I belong to you. I choose to be a servant and not a performer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give him praise this morning. Welcome to the family of God. Praise God.